This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Podacy. Podacy is an online community where you can discover and discuss top podcast recommendations with fellow listeners like yourself. This means that you can spend less time searching for a podcast that fits your interests and more time listening to new binge-worthy podcasts. Whether you enjoy true crime, mysteries, or storytelling, you'll find great podcasts recommended by Podacy's community of podcast superfans. Receive podcast recommendations tailored to your interests and tastes and based off the people you follow, so you never miss a great podcast again. Every Sunday, you get a newsletter roundup of the best podcast recommendations, playlists, and more in your inbox. Discover true crime and trending podcasts you wouldn't find otherwise. Access the top charts to view the top episodes being listened to across the app and connect with fellow podcast fans to discuss podcasts you love, like ours. Podacy has been described by listeners as revitalizing the podcast world and a delightful app. Share your favorite podcast with podcast playlists, similar to music playlists, but for podcasts. Podacy is available on any browser at podacy.fm, or you can unlock more features by downloading the iOS or Android app. Recommend your favorite episodes of our podcast on Podacy so more podcast fans can learn about it. Podacy is Odyssey spelled with a P, P-O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y. Follow us on Podacy to connect with us. Visit podacy.fm or the link in the show notes to check it out. The Oracle Network. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. How are you doing? I'm a little sleepy. Same. Possibly hungover, but I don't think I don't think so. I had quite a bit of water before I went to bed. What were you doing that made you hungover? Thomas and I went to a friend's wedding last night. Ooh. And they had brassa for dinner okay for those of you who aren't in the twin cities metro area brasa is like this really incredible braised chicken restaurant that has like chicken everything any form of chicken you could dream of they have and they did an incredible job making yeah they had this like pulled pork that was amazing Everything was gluten-free. Oh, that's so good for you. (laughs) I know. I was like, yay. And they had cupcakes. I had one cupcake and it was delicious. It was lemon with like the raspberry filling. So good. Ooh. Very good. Did they get the cupcakes from them too? I don't think so. I have no idea where they got them from, but they were good. Nice. So good job, guys. Good job. It was a nice wedding. They had signature cocktails in honor of their cats. 
Oh, funny. I've heard of people doing that. It was really funny. It was a fun time. I only had like two glasses of alcohol. Yeah, but I feel like that's enough for you. Yeah, that's enough for me. That's like... You're not a drinker at all. I'm not. I'm really not. You never really were. No. Anyway, enough about (laughs) me and my drinking. Let's talk about something spooky because it is now spoopy Halloween month. Oh, I'm so excited. I love spoopy Halloween. It made me realize that we should incorporate more paranormal stories each month. So I think I'm going to change up the format moving forward. So at least one week a month, we have some sort of fun paranormal-esque story. Because I have a lot in the hopper. I bet. And it's fun. It's a nice little palate cleanser from murder. (laughs) It is. Truly. Like, it's nice to have a... Have a break from like not all of our cases are murder, but a lot of them are really sad. Like the yeah. whole, like the last one was it the last one? The last two yeah. have been kind of sad. Yeah, so, like the sea. Yeah, like the cannibalism at the sea and the woman who was vilified, even though that was last week. I was trying to think about it because I was like, oh yeah, but that wasn't that the. Cannibalism at the sea was a couple weeks ago because that was when I was still in my closet. <laughs> yep. Stuck inside the closet. Recording oh. in the closet. Can't quote that guy anymore. No. Nope. Speaking of crimes. Yeah. Rotten jail, fun. R. Kelly. Rotting in a closet-sized cell. Yeah. Fuck you, R. Kelly. Oh, but don't worry. Piece of at shit. Least Bill Cosby's on his side, so we're all good. Oh. Oh. There we go. Another pillar of the community. <laughs> Ringing endorsement. Fuck both of you. Anyway, <laughs> moving About along. Scoopy. Good things. Today, we're going to be talking about the ghost hoaxers of Australia. Ghost hoaxers. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that sounds pranky and fun. Yeah. What year was this? Just so I can prepare myself for like the unfunny old jokes that they thought was hilarious. It's the late 1800s. Awesome. Because I feel like they were like, oh, got your socks. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we are going into the Victorian era. So mm. pre- prepare thyself. <laughs> got your stockings. <laughs> <laughs> so information was pulled from the following sources. A 2020 Public Record Office Victoria article. 2020 ABC News article by Beth Gibson. 2020 Federation University Newsroom article, 2019 Atlas Obscura article by Joseph Hayes, 2014 107.9 ABC article by Lily Partland. I don't have a lot of sources this week, but that's because the ones that I did find were pretty extensive. Pretty robust. Yeah. It, it sounds like it resurfaced recently then, 2019, 2020. That's because... The 2014s. A book came out and a podcast about this came out. Ooh. So links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. Are you going to include the podcast too? Um, I didn't actually use it for any reference. Before the age of online dating, late 19th century Australia took the term ghosting quite literally. Or at least they tried to. (laughs) I liked that. I had to... Yeah, that's good. Did yeah. you did you make that yourself? I wrote that. That was Congratulations. me. Congratulations. Thank that you. That was wonderful. Thank that's you. Some great A, great A work right there. Thanks. 
And now the episode's done. Just kidding. <laughs> right. And cut. Great. And Great job, scene. everybody. Great job. Great job. <laughs> in the year 1895, Ballarat in central Victoria, Australia, was the scene of a number of strange occurrences, such as the following. Two young ladies were out on a stroll the night of Wednesday, May 29th, 1895, when a spectral figure in black robes with arms and face covered in phosphorescent paint stepped into their path. This young man was a common sight in the area of Ballarat between Sturt and Dana Streets, and he delighted in harassing young women. Um, this reminds me of our childhood. Do you remember? What? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Tell the story now because people aren't going to know. We have, yeah, I know. Mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry again. <laughs> 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 so my sister and I grew up primarily in the 90s. And one of the biggest things in the 90s was to have those glow-in-the-dark stars on your ceilings. So like when you went to bed, you had a, like a really shoddily made constellation set or whatever. Yeah. So we had ours with tack, like techie. Yeah, like that blue tacky like stuff. Putty. Yeah. Yeah, it was almost like a putty. So it was temporary and they would fall. So Lindsay and I couldn't sleep one night and... She had some of the stars in her room, and we thought it would be really funny to put them on our bodies. So we were like giggling, and we were between our two rooms. So we were upstairs, and my parents' bedroom was downstairs right at the end of the stairwell. And we were putting them on our bodies and like doing weird like kid moves, like dancing around and stuff. And my mom heard us, woke up. And went to the first part of the landing and saw us and just started screaming because she was barely awake and she had thought we were aliens because <laughs> she was not, she's not right, like super tired. And we got into so much trouble. Yeah. <laughs> she, once she finally like figured out that it was just her kids messing around at like midnight <laughs> Bunch of glow in the dark stars. She was not happy. Not so our biggest reminds, fan. Uh, that that reminds me of this of like putting putting glow in the dark paint on your face and dark clothing and just kind of spooking her. That might be something we would have done too. So yeah, I can't hate on this guy yet. Yeah. So the man had been taking part in playing the ghost which between the 1870s and even up to World War I was a popular pastime, at least in Australia. <laughs> Ghost hoaxing rose in popularity during the age of spiritualism and piggybacked off similar ghosts and monster hoaxes that were taking place at the same time in Britain, such as the Stop. sightings of the famous Spring-Heeled Jack. Oh my God, that's so funny. So it's just people who think spiritualism is dumb. Yeah. And they're just being jerks and like making fun of people and spooking them pretty much. Yeah. Oh man. So these are like one of the first written it, like known, known trolls. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Nice. So for those that don't know, the story of spring Jack came from the mid 1800s and eventually made its way to Victorian Australia where it quickly gained in popularity. <laughs> 
Towards the end of the gold rush era in central Victoria, belief in the supernatural, specifically ghosts, ghost stories and sightings, not to mention hauntings, was a popular source of entertainment and garnered quite a bit of press in the local print media of the time. I bet. Ballarat was considered a haunted city pretty much from when it was first colonized. It also became a hotbed for ghost hoaxing and spiritualism, not to mention the fact that having a lack of professional policemen gave the area a type of lawlessness that appealed to the masses. Yeah, I bet. I bet it was almost like kind of irritating, but also entertaining, you know, because like yeah. that was that was not an easy time. So like reading a bunch of awful things in the paper and then just like a new ghost appeared <laughs> yeah. down, the, down the street. <laughs> You're like, ah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. One of the earliest mentions of this phenomenon involves a lecture that took place on June 9th, 1860 at the Mechanics Institute in Melbourne. The building was packed to capacity by people eager to hear Archibald Mitchie, who would go on to become the agent general for the colony of Victoria, lecture on ghosts and hauntings. He argued, quote, that while a man may be wiser, having read physiology, studied insanity and the various forms of delusion springing from morbid action of the brain, such a man has lost forever the supernatural shudder, the terrifically delicious creeping of the hair and the heart coming up into the mouth, attendant on his listening to or reading of, for the first time, a good authentic and by justices of peace attested ghost story. End quote. Nice. In his lecture, he argued that ghost seeing and ghost feeling are the unique preservation of humanity, and the decline of the belief in ghosts has led people to experience a sense of loss and wonder, a connection with their heritage, and the magic of life. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Although he never touched on the physical existence of ghosts, Archibald did make a case for the value of ghosts in storytelling, heritage keeping, and their role in the arts and literature which sparked a series of letters to the local paper and spawned regular seminars and public discussions on the subject. Yeah. And I, I mean, this would have been in the heart of the spiritualist movement too. So mm -hmm. this would have been, what would be the equivalent of a popular discussion? Um, AI? <laughs> I don't know. A year later, David Blair of Melbourne gave a similar lecture titled A Plea for Ghosts the subject of which became a source of great interest throughout the local community and in Victorian newspapers throughout the region. This talk spawned a number of letters to the editor and often was referenced when discussing concerns over the colony's spiritual health and the increase in exorcisms, ghost sightings, and hoaxes. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I would assume, too, that like just a bunch of what you would call like classic Christianity religions would mm -hmm. really have a hard time with this. Can you imagine if you were in like a heavily Catholic town mm -hmm. and you tried doing this? Yeah. That is not the Holy Ghost, Jimmy. The underlying point in all of these discussions was the idea of the soul and where it fits in the human world and what our very existence means. This was a time when the only real answer to this age-old question came from the church. Mm -hmm. And with the rise in scientific knowledge people were starting to change how they viewed life and how, or if, it truly ended after death. So this is when it really started? I feel like that's been an age-old question for like... I feel like this is when it started to really take off because science was gaining in popularity as far as like... This actually works. <laughs> yeah, well, and like... It can actually heal you. 
autopsies and medical Mm -hmm. science and things like that were starting to improve. So, you know, it makes sense that spiritualism would kind of rise during the same time frame. Yeah. And am I... Am I right in the assumption, too, that this was during the time where a lot of doctors were trying to figure out, like, where the soul lived in the brain and stuff? Weren't they trying to figure that out? Yeah. Wasn't this, like, phrenology kind of? Yep. Yeah, this was during the time, too, where they would look at the brain and figure out, like, try to figure out, like, what areas of the brain led to causing people to be murderers and things like that, like, after they passed. Yep. (laughs) So, and they would look at like the shape of the head and things like that to like determine, oh, well, this person is a pathological liar and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it would be kind of cool. I'm going to do like a mini shout out request. If anybody is like well versed in this subject, it'd be really cool to do like a special episode of a mini like Q&A where we could learn about phrenology phrenology because this is i mean it's such a fascinating thing because you know when you think about it it should make sense Mm -hmm. if you think of the body and how it works like we know now that it's complete bs but like that was i mean on a certain level yeah it made sense yeah i mean like at the time it was what you know it was modern medicine Mm -hmm. until people were like yeah no yeah (laughs) never mind yeah. But that would be really cool. Yeah. If anybody, we have an email if you want to like write in. and Yeah. Or reach out to us on our contact page of our website. Yeah. DM us. DM us on Twitter. Wink, wink. One comment David Blair made during his lecture sums up a little of how people felt about this issue. Quote, without a study of the laws of man's spiritual being, it was impossible to explain and understand man's physical nature. How then could we say that we would deny all possibility of the existence of a spirit land? End quote. It's true. Blair and Mitchie held opposing views on this, but both agreed that the concept of ghosts, ghost stories, and spiritualism was a rising phenomenon that should be viewed through a scientific lens versus the more religious one that had been used in the past. On September 2nd, 1864, Dr. Hickson made the following statement during his lecture at the Mechanics Institute, quote, the entity or spirit altogether independent of the body, which was only functional, not intelligent. The soul appeared as an objective ghost and made itself visible by drawing electrical power from beings who were present, end quote. That theory still kind of holds up, though, doesn't it? Like, yeah. don't modern ghost hunters still believe that entities pull from our electromagnetic energies. Mm-hmm. You were on to something, Dr. Hickson. Ooh. But why were there so many ghost sightings and exorcisms? Aside from the hoaxes, which I'll get back into, the area of central Victoria had become a melting pot of different cultures, customs, and beliefs with the gold rush boom in the 1850s, which brought in yeah. a number of immigrants hoping to strike it rich. That makes sense isn't surprising that these peoples would bring their own folklore and superstitions with them, especially as a means to cope with the change of moving to a new and unfamiliar country. Yep. Many immigrants came from as far away as Ireland and China, adding their own mix of religious and spiritual beliefs to the mix. Yeah. And it would make sense that if you're going to a completely foreign land to really latch on to creature comforts, Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is religion, beliefs, Customs. 
So that makes folklore, total, things like that. Total sense, especially because mm-hmm. you wouldn't want your children who you might have in this new country to lose it. Yeah. To lose that part of their heritage. Right. Another important thing to remember about this time is that working in the gold fields was hard and dangerous work. Lots of people died, which led to the growing belief that places where death occurred would, in turn, become haunted. With this in mind, it shouldn't be surprising that by the 1870s, Ballarat, Bendigo, and Melbourne became well-known and established centers for spiritualism. This was noted in an editorial printed in the Argus, which reads, quote, It is a noticeable symptom of the reactionary movement against the materialistic philosophy so much in vogue at the present day that ghosts, after having been objects of contempt to the educated and intelligent classes for some generations, are beginning to grow again into favor. We are not now alluding to the phenomena of spiritualism, which some years ago threatened to make the spirits of the dead quite as common as, and a great deal more commonplace than, the persons of the living. But outside the obscure regions tenanted by this creed, there are distinct signs that ghosts, which we thought were laughed out of existence by the robust common sense of the 18th century, are creeping back into the world, revisiting again the glimpses of the moon in these rather sickly times of the moribund 19th century, end quote. Yeah, ghosts don't leave popular culture like ever. Yeah, they didn't just run away and then come back out of the blue. No, they're like, oh, guys, they're not ready for us. We got to come back later. Yeah. Hold up. I don't want it to seem like everyone bought into spiritualism because that certainly wasn't the case. One interesting incident regarding this happened in 1881 in Ballarat. There was a gathering held around the Galloway Monument where some 400 people were in attendance to hear discussions on ghosts and spiritualism. The meeting quickly devolved into a bit of a riot when a local preacher spoke out and claimed that ghosts and spiritualism were tools of the devil, which ended in him being chased down the street by an angry mob. There we go. Well, that's different from common stuff now, but that's hilarious. I love that Australia was like, hell no, man. Get out of here. (laughs) Whereas America would be like, you know what? You might be onto something. There you go. As we know, the spiritualism movement saw an uptick in reports of ghost and paranormal stories in a variety of places, in fiction, print, public gatherings, and literature. Popular sightings included those of the headless horsemen, women dressed in white, the ghosts of murdered victims, headless animals, etc. By the 1890s, these types of stories started to pose a problem for local law enforcement, as the panics that would arise from these sorts of tales caused a number of false calls to the authorities, which wasted quite a bit of money and time, not to mention resources, when police forces at that time were still fairly small and in some places non-existent. Yeah. In a misguided plea to the public, some editorials of the day advocated for readers to arm themselves so that they could patrol dilapidated buildings and cemeteries with a call to shoot any ghosts on sight. That works. Sure. I mean, poor Jimmy will probably die, but you know, it's fine. Yeah. If they were real ghosts, it'd be a case of no harm, no foul. And if it were actual pranksters and hoaxers, well... They deserved it. (laughs) A dose of buckshot might convince them that this type of behavior wasn't worth getting shot over. Damn. Regardless, the stories were generally viewed in a more humorous light, such as the case of a headless ghost animal that ended up being a cat with its head stuck in a lobster tin. Stop. That's so cute. (laughs) 
That poor cat. He was just like, don't shoot me, man. Another hilarious incident involved a Castlemaine stockman who was terrified upon discovering what he viewed as a headless horsewoman with a fine body that was actually an abandoned draper dummy that had been lying next to an old log. Stop. Yep. Oh, my God. How inebriated was this poor gentleman? I don't know, but apparently... uh, sexually attracted to a trash can. (laughs) Well, he was basically like enamored with a mannequin that didn't have a head for some reason. That's not unsettling at all. Other more famous tales that spooked the public included those of Fisher's ghost, the spirit of a young man in Castlemaine, the burnt bridge ghost of Ballarat, and the Warren Heap brewery ghost. Now back to the hoaxes. Many stories that popped up over the years were later debunked as people playing the ghost, but not every reported case was all fun and games. Mm-hmm. There are many noted cases of people being robbed, assaulted, and even sexually assaulted while under the guise of playing a ghost or encountering one. Awesome. The bulk of people in Australia were concerned about the uptick in lyricans, also known as rowdy youths up to no good. Youths. <laughs> Not the lyricans. Ghost hoaxing provided them with an easy outlet and a means to cause general mayhem with the benefit of anonymity. That makes sense. The most common methods included people wearing costumes, Mm -hmm. many of them quite elaborate, before leaping out to scare people, sometimes throwing things. But most often, this would be accompanied by dramatic calls, howls, and unusual tricks of the light, such as I mentioned earlier with the phosphorescent paint. Mm -hmm. Some hoaxes were so good and repeated so often that the specter would be granted a nickname in the paper as they dodged police and armed vigilante capture. One unlucky man who was notorious for wearing a white sheet and a tall sugarloaf hat. What's a sugarloaf hat? What does that look like? Uh, Think of the Arby's hat. Oh my God, stop. He was a ghost with an Arby's hat on? Yeah. That's hilarious. He received quite a beating from a couple vigilantes instead of being (laughs) handed into the local authorities. After getting a smackdown, he begged his assailants to keep his true identity a secret so he wouldn't lose his job at a local state school. Ooh, gosh, there are so many like modern tie-ins we can do with this. Mm -hmm. In 1882, the Kilmore Free Press wrote, quote, an apparition and figure a man in an antics a mischievous schoolboy, has from time to time visited this claim at midnight and entertained the men at the premises at the times of its visit by means of a brisk bombardment with rocks and its own sudden and mysterious disappearance whenever chased, end quote. Funny. Another man was arrested and charged 200 pounds, which would be about 24,000 pounds today. Dang for assaulting a police officer's daughter while dressed as a ghost. Yeah, kind of deserves that. Yeah. Just in general, but like, I bet he knew he really fucked up when he found out it was a policeman's daughter. Oh, I'm sure. You, you're dead. <laughs> One famous figure was known as the Wizard Bombardier for wearing white robes and a sugarloaf hat. What's with the sugarloaf hat? Do, like, ghosts, do ghosts have like a hat maker? I don't, I don't know. That's really cute. Pharrell would do really well here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pharrell, the wizard bombardier. <laughs> In 
He haunted the area between Ballarat and Kilmore, scaring workers and travelers with eerie screams before throwing rocks at them as he made his escape ninja style across the countryside. Perfect. Ninja style. Wow. Yeah. Nothing like Victorian ninjas to get your blood <laughs> I'm just picturing him like nimbly jumping over rocks and hiding behind bushes to run away. I'm just, yeah, thinking about a grown man in a white sheet with an Arby's hat parkouring <laughs> his way out of a situation. Like, this is an episode of The Office, if I knew any better. Like, oh my god. A common thread between these hoaxes was the use of phosphorescent paint. It became readily available in 1881, thanks to a man named William Balmain. The most common use was having a white sheet soaked in the paint to give off the illusion of a glowing green ghost. Oh, no. This is also like how you die. <laughs> By it while you wear it. Others took more fanciful and artistic approaches, such as a man who dressed in a night costume with a breastplate that had the words, prepare to meet thy doom, emblazoned on it. Stop. He reportedly threatened to behead a 12-year-old boy late one night. Okay. A little aggressive. Yeah. A common prop was the use of coffin lids and other ghostly paraphernalia. Coffin lids? So you would just take the lid of a coffin and be like... Walking around with it, too? Yeah. This is an episode of The Office. <laughs> this is 100% like The Office or Parks and Rec. Yeah. This can't be real. This was, this was real. This was real. Oh, my God. Australia, what are you doing? <laughs> As I mentioned before, many ghost hoaxes were just vehicles that allowed men to rob and sexually assault young women. One charming individual had a skull and crossbones painted on his bare chest above the word death and was arrested after exposing himself to another young man in Ballarat. Hilarious. A man near Bendigo was arrested after assaulting young women dressed in a white overcoat while wearing a phosphorescent suit underneath. So dumb. These people are so dumb. Not all of these attacks ended in violence, but one case in Ballarat involved a retired miner named Frederick Parks, who was stabbed after a man dressed as a ghost attacked him. The ghost had an elaborate costume that consisted of white clothes that had been covered in phosphorescent paint along with his face and arms. And the man had a coffin lid strapped to his back like a creepy turtle. Oh, no! <laughs> According to newspapers, the ghost had been assaulting a young woman when Frederick had stepped in and fought with the ghost so the woman could get away. Frederick was soon stabbed by the ghost before it escaped over a nearby fence. That's quite the story. I feel so bad that these women were just assaulted by these terrifying men. Yeah. In fucking sheets. Yeah. Ugh. The hoaxing craze wasn't confined to just men. Although few and far between, there are stories of women who also terrified locals at night, such as a woman in Ballarat who dressed as a ghost in order to steal chickens from her neighbors. That is so funny. Oh my god. You're like, Carol, why does your chicken look like the one that was stolen from a from me by a ghost last night? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the ghost just likes me more. <laughs> Stay in your lane, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Another woman dressed as a ghost near the Junction Hotel in Sandhurst and would often be seen playing the guitar. I mean, honestly, I could see some, like some indie songwriter totally doing this. Oh, yeah. Someone in Las Vegas. Maybe it is Pharrell with a with a sheet in his hat, you know? Well, it was a girl, so it wasn't Pharrell this time, but... I know, know, but like... 
one of his many protégés. Some women even went so far as to paint their entire bodies in phosphorescent paint and walk around at night buck naked. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, if it wasn't, if they didn't, if phosphorescent paint wasn't such a like toxic, horrible thing, I would think it would be funny, but I can't, I don't want to know what their skin looked like when they tried yeah. washing that off. <laughs> One famous case involved a woman who would regularly cross-dress as a man in order to visit bars and chat up men before revealing her true sex. She was arrested, and after a stint in the Ararat Lunatic Asylum, she took up dressing as a ghost wearing a hideous papier-mâché mask and a white sheet soaked in phosphorescent paint. She would hide under the Peel Street Bridge and jump out to scare people. <laughs> like a troll. She was. She was actually a troll. There you go. That's ridiculous. Popular haunts, if you will, for ghost hoaxers included cemeteries, street corners, bridges, and even Lake Werunga in Bendigo. Using locations that already were associated with death or held cultural significance as being particularly ominous up to the fear factor. Hoaxers often took their inspiration from popular literature at the time, such as Dracula, Wuthering Heights, and Penny Dreadfuls. Perfect. It wasn't just the hoaxers that became popular. Hoax exposers also gained in popularity, such as Charles Horman, who was known to fire his shotgun at suspected ghosts and also on one occasion beat another with his walking stick to assist a woman who had been assaulted. Good for him. And also where there's one, you always have to have a balance. So that makes sense. Yep. There are people who are like, hell no, get out of my, get out of my street. Yeah. A woman named Mrs. Date released her bulldog on a hoaxer who had assaulted her daughter, which is pretty badass. That is. Although today, this form of vigilantism would probably end in an arrest. At the time, the local papers viewed these people as heroes for fighting against the ghost nuisance. Yeah. The punishment for ghost hoaxing varied based on the extent of the crime. But many hoaxers were tried for petty misdemeanors, while others were convicted of lunacy. In the case of lunacy, the hoaxers had usually exposed themselves, used foul language, been labeled as a public nuisance, or were simply noted as, quote, a lunatic found wandering at large, end quote. Bummer. Most of the people who were arrested were either discharged, fined, or found themselves admitted to the Ararat Lunatic Asylum. Many of the people who engaged in playing the ghosts came from the working class and held such professions as school teachers, clerks, and some middle class women. That isn't to say that the upper class didn't indulge in the practice. Oh, you know they did. Oh, yeah. More often than not, it was people of the lower class who used it as a means to get at their betters. Yeah, that makes sense. So why was it so popular? Dr. Waldron believes that many of the migrants to Australia felt disconnected from their homelands and the traditional folklore and cultures that they'd left behind. The advent of spiritualism and science threatened those beliefs, so the act of scaring people into believing in the supernatural was a small way they could take back control over this one small part of their heritage and beliefs. Yeah, that makes sense. The stories and very nature of ghosts in general have a common theme of some form of trauma and how we view and deal with this trauma. It's this approach that was mentioned in Michie's lecture in 1860, that ghosts connect us with our past and form a sort of bridge that connects us to a time and a place. In Victorian Australia, the idea of hauntings and ghosts dealt more with the present than the past, a phenomenon that needed to be studied and viewed through a scientific lens to be understood. Yeah. 
Hoaxing was also a liberating experience that challenged many of the Victorian taboos of the time. Being able to switch genders, rebel against the social norms of the period, commit sexual acts such as exposure, assault, and even the use of foul language. Many experienced a rush after a successful night of hoaxing, and being able to be anonymous in these criminal pursuits appealed to a number of people, regardless of their social standing. Yeah. Well, it's just getting a thrill and the thrill of getting away with something. Yeah. And being being cute about assault, which is gross. Playing the ghost allowed the people of the time to challenge the beliefs in life after death, play a part that they couldn't in their normal lives, and all under the threat of getting caught in the act. And it also allowed the working class and youths to attack people of higher social standing without the threat of being caught. Yeah. And as you alluded to before, that (laughs) phosphorescent paint that everyone seemed to love so much, turns out it had the unfortunate side effect of causing horrific growths and cancerous tumors. Yeah. That in an ironic twist often ended in the people's deaths. Yep. And that is the story of the ghost hoaxing of Australia, which the practice ended with the start of World War One, when many Australians who were called to fight died. And yeah. as as that death it toll wasn't funny anymore. Yeah, it wasn't funny anymore. Because a lot of people were dying. Yeah. yeah. So that makes sense. So what are your thoughts on ghost hoaxing in Victorian Australia? I think with everything, it can be funny and innocent at first and then go really far south really quickly Mm -hmm. as soon as it gets popularity or falls into the wrong hands. So as adorable as the ghost singer was and like people with like undiagnosed mental health issues doing it just to like be a different person for a night, Mm -hmm. like that's relatively innocent and harmless but like men doing it just so that they can be anonymous and sexually assault and rob people or in women too sucks there's always people that that are going to ruin something like that but i think in the beginning it was kind of a cutesy fun way to like not think about bad stuff yeah and then bad stuff started happening (laughs) and And then they were like never mind yeah damn it yep Hello there. Do you like real-life historical tales? If so, have I got the perfect podcast for you. My name is Alice, and I host the Backtracker History Show. Based in the UK, this self-confessed geek takes you for a stroll down memory lane and shares stories and interesting nuggets of information that has been discovered along the way. From tales of tragedy and sadness to epic stories of human courage or creativity, there are many people in history who have made their mark, however small. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, and remember to leave a rating or review if you can. If you want to find out more, you can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at BacktrackerUK with a capital V, capital T, and a capital UK. But until then... Take care, guys, and look after each other. This week's podcast plug is the Backtracker History Show. From tales of tragedy and sadness to epic stories of human courage or creativity, there are many people in history who have made their mark, however small. 
Each episode is less than 30 minutes long, so it's easy to binge lots of them in rapid succession. Nice. So if you enjoy our show, I think you'll love this one as well. Definitely. And we will have a link to it in the show notes. And this week's listener question comes from the Film Rage and Jury Room podcast. And they both would like to know what our favorite condiment is. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. They both asked this question. That's why I lumped them together. Which I just find it interesting that they both asked the same question. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Like, were you both eating like chicken nuggets or something? Chicken nuggies. Wow. Chicken nuggies. Dino nuggies. That's kind of tough because I, I mean, I stick to classics. Like, I really like the tomato mayo combo, like the fry sauce mm. with like like Lowry seasoning, mm-hmm. the like quote unquote mystery sauce, mm-hmm. like Canes and Chick-fil-A as a version. And like pretty much any chicken place will have a version of this like weird Thousand Island ketchup, mayo, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I usually go with that. But I also generally like, I really like gravy with stuff too. Mm-hmm. So whenever I go to like KFC, I'll get like the mashed potatoes and gravy with like popcorn chicken and I'll dip the popcorn chicken in that. Mm-hmm. And that's really satisfying. And like poutine, having gravy, that's really mm-hmm. satisfying. So I would say it's situational. It's true. I don't really have a favorite. It's kind of hard. Mine's mm-hmm. situational. What about you? I really like honey mustard. Yeah. It's a good condiment. But I also really like sweet chili sauce. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. And I also suppose kind of within your vein of the fry sauce, I do really like shirasha mayo. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, or yum-yum sauce, as it's sometimes called, depending on what brand you get. Yeah. There's something really nice about like having something with a lot of vinegar or spice toned down with mayo. Because as, as Midwesterners and people who lived grew up in a household with not a lot of spice in general. Mm-hmm. That was that's a great introduction to that. And I, I have a lot of stomach problems. Yeah. Same. <laughs> so like I love spice, but my body doesn't. So it's a good way for me to kind of get a little bit of that without dying. Yeah. Without my body being like, what did you do? We talked about this. I'm getting rid of it. You're <laughs> like, wait, no, wait, stop. I'm sorry. I hope you want to spend the rest of the day in the bathroom because that's what's happening right now. Yep. Was it worth it? No amount of Tums can save you now. <laughs> Was it worth it? <laughs> Thank you for the question, guys. Yeah, thanks. So on that note, what's something good you'd like to share? I've got a couple of things. One of the things is our, like, so I mentioned before, we were going to get a Snorlax bed mm-hmm. for my partner's daughter. And it's here. And we stuffed him. And he is really comfortable. Like he's filled to the brim with like 40 pounds of polyfill, but we honestly could do like 20 more maybe and like really overstuff him. So we were considering getting another one just in case, especially since like once she starts sleeping on him, he'll settle more. Mm -hmm. But that's really cute and really fun. And we finally like (laughs) her room slash my office was where we dumped like all of our cardboard boxes and Mm -hmm. like last minute things that we haven't organized. So we did that yesterday. And so we feel more settled now, which is really good. Another good thing is I have new glasses. You do. So I um, went to, I I heard about this thing called Neurolens. And they're these prismatic glasses that help with eye misalignment, which is something I 
I felt like I had, but like my eye doctors never really like fully, like officially diagnosed me for it. Mm -hmm. So my eyes, super fun. Instead of looking straight ahead, (laughs) they kind of look slightly outward. So like, thank goodness you can't like see it if you were to stare at me. But like my eyes tend to like the right one likes to look at the right and the left one likes to look at the left and they don't like coming in the middle to look at anything. So I would have a really hard time focusing when I was like on my computer and I'd get dizzy and like have headaches and eye fatigue and all this stuff. And I found out that Neuralens, their lenses are in a way to like, they use their prisms to kind of naturally like make your eyes kind of center and you're able to focus more. And the whole reason why you get pain and fatigue is there's this fun little nerve between your two eyes. And when your eyes don't work together, it's like, like, fix it, fix it, fix it. And so that's what's causing all of like the strain and pain and stuff. And so over time, when you wear the glasses, that nerve stops getting triggered. And then theoretically, you should stop having migraines, headache, all that good stuff. So full disclosure, they're expensive. Mm-hmm. But like my life as a diabetic is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like no slouch when it comes to when like knowing that my health is going to cost money. So I did the test. I did the neural lens test and I qualified and I got the lenses. And when I tell you like I've had glasses before that I have to wear at night or while I'm driving, I don't have a really strong prescription, but It was like I saw clearly for the first time when I put them on. It was the strangest sensation because I have relatively good sight still, Mm -hmm. thank goodness. But they've been really, really nice. And I bought decent lens, like decent frames, so they don't look super weird. Mm -hmm. But so far, so good. I'm really, really happy with how they are and how they look. And I think they'll be worth it in the long term. So I can keep you updated because apparently it takes like two months to really get used to it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been really nice. It's nice looking at a screen now, but you do kind of get like a fishbowl effect sometimes. Oh yeah. So if I go out, (laughs) if I go outside, I'll I'll like miss a step. (laughs) 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 So that I still have to get used to, but so far so good. Nice. What about you? Do you have a Noom update? How's that going? It's going okay. I'm still trending down. I have plateaued a little bit recently, but... Which happens. Mm-hmm. Because how long have you been doing it? About a month and a half. Yeah. So So now your body's like, oh, I figured it out. Mm-hmm. But I am getting better about portion control and things like that. So like I did a pretty good job eyeballing stuff at the wedding last nice. night as far as how much I should be eating in order yeah. to be satisfied without overeating. And not sick. I think I did a good job. So That's awesome. That's honestly half the battle is battling what your brain thinks you need versus what you actually need. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, it's going well. And I'm still trying to set up some sort of exercise routine that fits in with my busy schedule and my life. So I still go for walks as often as I can. Right. I mean. But still, like doing stuff extensively, especially when you have a dog and a spouse that, you know, doesn't have the same type of schedule Mm -hmm. generally that you do and children. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to find 30 minutes Mm -hmm. every day. Yep. It's not as easy as you hope it is. Yeah. So it's been going fairly well. That's awesome. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. 
We're also on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. We are on YouTube. We do have a channel if you'd like to check us out there and subscribe. We have a couple different playlists. So there's one that has all of our episodes and there's another one that just has the cramp word episodes. If that's something you'd rather just check out to listen to other podcasters and things like that. Learn fun facts. And learn some fun terms that aren't as popular. We have a P.O. box. If you'd like to write us or send us anything, you can do so at Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota 55092. We have an email address, yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We are still accepting submissions for our Halloween episode. If you'd like to send us stories, if you want to do recording of yourself telling the story and send it to us, whatever kind of works best for you. And if you'd like to support the show, but can't do so financially, which we totally get, a great way to do so would be to leave us a five-star rating and review. You can do that on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods. And this week's review comes from Genevieve Germain via Apple Podcasts. And she says, hooked. I recently discovered this gem of a podcast. The stories are very interesting and intriguing, and the ease and banter and colorful commentary are a pleasant surprise. Keep up the good work. Aw, thank you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee to leave a one-time donation. You can also join our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. And on that note, I'd like to thank our current patrons, Aaron, Julene, and Kara. We love you and appreciate your continued support. You can also support us by purchasing some of our merch on our Public store. We recently released two Halloween-esque slash fall designs and mm-hmm. have a couple more ideas that I have not released as of the time that we're recording this. I may have them done in time when this actually drops, but we'll see. So check those out. I think they're kind of fun. I think so, too. But that's just me because I'm the one that made them. (laughs) (laughs) I love my babies. I'm a little biased. (laughs) On that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.